0: Hey there, Longhorn fans. Welcome to another recruiting breakdown brought to you by a great Longhorn mortgage professional, Gabe Winslow. Gabe is a diehard Texas ex with more than 20 years in the industry doing mortgages throughout the great state of Texas. Contact Gabe today and give him the opportunity to earn your business. I am Trey Elling, joined as always by Justin Wells of Inside Texas, insidetexas.com. What's up, Justin? How are we doing this week?
1: Hey, brother. Uh, nice little chilly, wet, rainy morning. Here in East Texas. Uh, looks like we're actually getting January weather now. And so um, I'm, I'm still I'm still hung over from Junior Day. There were so many kids. It was such a long weekend. So much so much good content. So I'm just trying to, to catch my bearings right now without getting wet and cold outside.
0: So before we get into some of the specifics of the kids who are on campus, guys, maybe Texas is in better standing than they were heading into that weekend. I'm curious for you as somebody who is out there covering that event over the course of the day, what does your day look like when you're covering something like a junior day?
1: Um, it's not that interesting, really. Uh, we arrive pretty early because players generally start, say it starts at the registrations open at noon. But players and parents will start trickling in about 10, 30, usually coming off of long drives. And so uh, we try to catch at least a photo just to and, and kind of have it like a checklist of who we see come in. We don't really bother the kids going in because they have a long day ahead of them. Texas has a schedule. We don't want to, we don't want to impede on any of that progress. We just want to uh, kind of get an idea, head count, who's in, who's not in, take a few pictures and, uh kind of prepare for the evening when they're, when they're done. We do that for a few hours in the morning, then by about, you know, noon, 1230, all the kids that are coming are already there. And so generally we'll go and uh, we'll grab a bite. We'll do some work on the computer, maybe in generally it's basketball season. So we'll probably watch a little bit on uh-uh, basketball uh-uh, on television, you know, just try to uh, get some work done over the next few hours. And then we'll come back about three. They usually let them out about four, four thirty. Strangely enough, last Saturday, kids were coming out of the building at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty good about identifying kids at this stage, you know, facial recognition, knowing who they are, kind of things like that. But I don't care how well you know a recruit. If it's in the middle of the night, you can't recognize anybody. <laughs> and so um, – but that's just kind of how, you know, they had 40 or 50 kids, over 300 people attend this thing on Saturday. And so it's it's going to take a long time. But generally, we get them after after their event, when they're walking to their cars, when, when they're headed back to, to the airport. We'll catch up with them for a few minutes. A lot of times, we'll focus on the kids that are out of state because we know they have, a you know, a flight back or a long drive back or you know, we don't want to hold up families. We don't want to hold them up too long. We, we, we try to get those guys knocked out pretty quick. And then we'll focus on the, the closer kids, ones from the area, DFW, Houston, things of that sort. They're driving so bad. Uh, and just catch as many as we can, get as much info as we can. A lot of times I'll talk to players. A lot of times Joe Cook will talk to players. Eric will talk to a couple kids. Eric likes to talk to parents as well. I'll catch up with a few parents. We go through that. That takes about two or three hours and it's a quick moving. I mean, it happens quick before you blink. You've been out there two and a half hours doing it. I think I gathered 18 interviews on Saturday, majority of those in the evening. And so it's a it's kind of a, you know, move at a fast pace kind of deal just to make sure you can check all the boxes. But uh, that's generally a junior day. And for those kids, they come in, they get introduced, they meet the staff, they meet, they, they meet some of the. Coaches and other players, they generally have a food, uh, they have a, a lunch, it's catered. Then they'll have positional meetings. They'll come in and, and you'll see guys that usually, um, you know, uh, with linebackers, they'll go hang out with Jeff Choate, Peyton Pierce, and Justin Williams will go in there. They'll ask questions. They'll, um, you know, it, they'll go back and forth a lot of times. I know the Kyle Flood uh, started showing techniques. Breaking down techniques physically, showing a lot of the offensive linemen like Ori Williams and Bennett Warren, DeAndre Carter, Michael Uni. They, they were going over schemes and techniques in those positional meetings. And the kids, they get a lot from that. Ori Williams told me he he actually learned more in 30 minutes of a positional meeting than he's known in a long time. Hmm. And that's that's the value of coming to a junior day and getting to meet these coaches and talking to them face-to-face. You can call a kid all day, Trey. You can text them. You can message them on social media. But until you see their face, until it's eye to eye, it's not really real. And once that happens, that's when we can start to set the floor for the, for the class. And it's kind of like a resetting the cycle kind of deal. And we can get an idea of who we think Texas looks good for, who we think Texas needs to gain ground on. And at the end of the day, uh, really let the kids tell you, Tell us, you know, how, how it went, what stood out and, uh, you know, ask about other schools and, 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 you know, other visits. And so it's a long day. Like my day Saturday, I left Tyler about 530 a.m. That pulls me into Austin at about 930, 10 o'clock. We work all day. And then once we got done about 7, 730, then I drive back to Tyler and that puts me back home about uh, 1130 or 12. And it's a full day because we still have to pull over and you know write up recaps, get pictures put up in the admin, get things edited. It's a long day for everyone involved, players, parents, coaches, and even us on the media side. That's pretty much the gist of a regular basic uh, junior day in Austin.
0: Boy, it's funny how uh, increasingly digitized this world is becoming. That analog still matters most in all aspects of life, and certainly with recruiting, with something like Junior Day, as you just mentioned, Justin. I know you talked about a few of the names who were here over the weekends. Uh, who are some of the names that really stood out to you the most, just in terms of big time prospects who were in Austin for this uh, this January Junior Day?
1: If you go position by position, it was pretty impressive. And I'll start with I'll start with running back. Coach Choice brought brought all the tailbacks in and he said, I've got the number one, number two running back in 2024 in here. I got the number one and number two 2025 tailback in here and one of the top 2026 tailbacks in here. If that tells you anything, it's we're only recruiting the best. And when Choice came in, he has been such a hammer when it came to recruiting. The way he owned the Cedric Baxter pursuit was something I haven't seen from assistant coaching in a long time. He did a tremendous job. He's got a great rapport with that region in Georgia, Florida, and that area. And so Jarrett Gibson on campus, number one tailback out of IMG Academy, Taylor Tatum on campus, number two tailback out of Longview, Texas. Um, there were some guys there that, that there were some dudes on campus. And and so at running back, I felt like Choice, you know, was very, you know, I liked how he answered, asked question and asked and answered questions with those guys. And the the biggest takeaway there was Taylor Tatum and Jarrett Gibson. Choice had mentioned two would be the number for for, for the takes for 2024. And Jarrett and Taylor looked at each other like, you know, that could be us. Hmm. And anytime you have the number one and number two tailback on the on three rankings telling each other they could play together, buddy, that's a good time. So I felt like Choice did a great job as usual at the running back position. Wide receiver, they had one of the top receivers in the country come in, and Micah Hudson had a handful of other pass catchers, Taz Williams out of Red Oak. Um, There was a number of them. And it's funny because there's no wide receiver coach at Texas, and it doesn't really matter to these kids. What really helped with Micah Hudson isn't the lack of, of wide receiver coach. It's the fact that Steve Sarkeesian has made him a primary contact. If the head coach is your primary contact, you're pretty damn good. And that's exactly how Micah Hudson's recruitment is going. He's built good relationships with Brandon Harris, JM Jones, staffers, you know, recruiting staffers behind the scene. Really likes Coach Sark, really likes Jeff Banks. Once the wide receiver coach gets hired, and we'll talk about that in a little update at the end of the show. That that'll actually that that'll that'll start to build as well organically. But the fact that the fact that Sark has prioritized Hudson the way he has, especially without a wide receiver coach, is Immensely important, Trey, because that's a kid you can't miss. He's right down the road, and he's, they're battling Ohio State. They're going to battle Alabama. They're going to battle LSU. They're going to battle Oregon. They're going to battle the biggest schools in the country for that kid. And so the, him coming in early and getting some one-on-one time with the staff and then leaving kind of before the rush of the prospects came in, I thought was really smart uh, the way the staff kind of arranged that. Tied in was a, it was a couple – you know, that's – the the last two classes have been full, <laughs> and so I don't I don't expect this cycle to, to go deep into tight end too much. One kid that stood out was Joellen Roberts. He's out of J.J. Pierce High School up in, uh, I believe, Richardson, 2024. Mm-hmm. That's a good-looking kid. Flipping over to the defensive side, Bo Davis can recruit. Let me tell you that right now. He brings in all those D linemen, and those guys start hammering questions at him back and forth, and Bo has an answer for all of it. He really resonates well and relates with these parents and with these players. People will always remember Bo, um, you know, not just from coaching at some of the biggest programs and in the NFL, but of course his his, his tirade on the bus trip at, at, after Ohio State a couple of years ago. At least that's what I'll remember him for. Um, but that parents like that parents that that demand accountability of their children love. Them. And so Bo had some big guys in there. He had some big names, and that's where you kind of get started with with, with sitting the floor for for those guys as well. King Joseph Edwards out of Georgia. He's an edge guy, so he's going to be more PK range. Uh, But that's a guy that came in and and had a great visit. Um, One kid in particular that kind of stood out a little bit to me was Alex January. He's a defensive lineman out of Duncanville. He was offered on uh, uh, December 31st. If they would have just waited one day, they could have offered January on the first day of January. But I digress. His dad, Michael, played linebacker for Texas years ago. You Mm -hmm. walk in their house and it's Texas stuff everywhere. Alex has been to Austin and to to DKR many, many times, but he's never done it as a recruit. And that was significant for him on this trip. He just came off of Georgia unofficial and going to Athens after winning back-to-back national championships – that's probably the, the hottest vibe in college football. He loved it, but he came to Texas and, and, and it feels like home to him. His you know his parents are very familiar with the spot. His older brother is a student at Duncanville. I mean at, at Texas, and so we got to hang out with him as well. I don't think that recruitment's going to take very long. I think you'll see it go through the spring and potentially early summer. He's got a, he's got a lot of places he's gonna hit. USC, Miami, TCU, uh, potentially LSU. He's got some spots. He's going to go. He's going to still see. He wants to take some of these visits, but I don't see this recruitment taking very long. I don't see it, sh- you know, stringing out, uh, you know, over the course of the next six months to a year. I think this will be something that gets wrapped up by the end of spring. I love where Texas stands with that right now. Just remains to be seen how much they push. Then you got the linebackers. Justin Williams and Peyton Pierce are two of the best in the country. Two of the best in the state. They were there. They got to hang out with Coach Cho. Peyton Pierce is a kid, Oklahoma's pushing, Arkansas's pushing. He just came off of a Notre Dame unofficial, and then they made an impression on him. Yet he keeps coming back to Texas. He's been to Austin many times, and I think each time he comes, he learns something new. He sees something new. One of the things he said that stood out was the fact that he got to hang out with other top linebackers, other targets. And it gives them an idea of who it, it kinda, they kind of gauge themselves. It's only natural. When you come in with seven or eight linebackers and you know they're only going to take possibly two or three, the last cycle they took four, so I'm pretty sure Choate's only going to get a few in this one, depending on you know who those takes are. But Peyton was able to kind of judge himself. He's like, okay, I know they're targeting him, I know they're focusing on him. Gives kids an idea of kind of where they stand, and I think that's a very transparent thing for, for not only for the player but for the for the parents and then for the DBs, You know, Braylon Connolly, if you ever watch his tape. 2024 corner out of Humble at Tascacita. That's a kid that just brings hat on a daily basis. Corian Gibson, one of the top safeties in the country. He's back there holding it down. Alabama, LSU are pushing hard. He is he is wonderful on the football field, and he's wonderful on the track. Does a lot of good things for Lancaster. I think Texas made a, a positive move there with him as well. And notably, Kobe Black, cornerback out of Waco Conley. He's the number two corner rated in the nation for 2024. He had t- I talked to him throughout the week. I'd gone to see him play basketball a few times uh, in the last month. It was down to Texas, Texas A&M, and TCU to get this Saturday visit, and Texas won out, I caught up with his dad. The best thing that came out of Kobe was he knows he's the priority. And I think that's very reassuring because Kobe, Kobe's a dude, okay? He's, he's almost 6'2", almost 195, 200 pounds, great athlete. His brother plays at Oklahoma State. His dad grew up playing college football as well. It's an athletic family. And, and the best takeaway from, from Kobe, I asked him, he's got a teammate at Conley named Jelani McDonald who signed with Texas in the early period uh, for the 2023 class and, and he'll enroll in, in June. When you go back to, to to Waco, what are you gonna tell Jelani you know, about your visit? And he said, I'm gonna tell him he made the right decision. Hmm. And that, to me, really resonated how that how that visit went with that family and with Kobe. And so top to bottom, man, and I know I'm missing guys, but there were 40-something players there. But those are the ones I think made the biggest impression. I thought Michael Uni and Kyle Flood, as offensive lineman out of Copper's Cove, continue to build a great bond. Daniel Cruz out of Richland Hills, that's a kid that's just a nasty, filthy offensive. He's the one that he's got the disposition you prefer in an offensive lineman. Just a scrappy, strong kid. I thought Texas did really well. Brought in some East Texas kids. Ja'Kyle Baker, wide receiver out of Brownsboro. He's got a Texas offer. They look fantastic in that recruitment. Oregon's jumped in the mix now. 6'3", 6'4", about 190 pounds. Great athlete. Does some disgusting things on the basketball court as well. Uh, Willie Nelson. You know, people think, you know, you hear Willie Nelson in Austin and and you start to think about music and, and, yeah, all the other stuff that goes with it. But there's a safety out of Longview, Texas named Willie Nelson, who spells his name the exact same way, except this guy is a lot better at playing football. Uh, he led East Texas in interceptions in 2021, one of the top uh, prospects in 2022. He came on campus. Oklahoma's in the mix. Oklahoma State's in the mix. But he's definitely on the all-name team. And then he had some, some new offers. Blake Frazier, a local kid out of Austin Vandergrift. I feel like Michigan's probably the leader there. His dad played there in the late nineties, but they made a, they made an offer there. Bennett Warren out of Fort Bend, uh, Christian Academy, ginormous kid. And that's another thing. Kyle flood has a type. (laughs) And that type is just big, large humans, Ori Williams, Michael uni, Bennett Warren, Deandre Carter at a modern day, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. He made the trip down as well. So top to bottom, it was just a really productive day, especially from the Texas recruiting standpoint. Some fans would say, well, you know, why weren't there any commitments? Well, generally with these junior days, there's not really a lot of kids to push for commitments. You really just want to set the floor. You want to you want to add to the foundation because you've already built bonds and relationships with these kids and connected with them over the last year or two. You know, classes get recruited two and three years ahead now, where in the past, it was generally just that one class intermediate. Now... You, you got to get to know them at an earlier age, and I think that's. I think that Saturday was exactly what Texas needed. They got the guys in. They really wanted to see. They they really they really connected with a handful, and they left knowing they feel like they're in good spots with a certain few. They feel like they've got work to do with others, and then there's probably a handful that that may not return. And that Trey is the beauty of recruiting. You just never know.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. So you just mentioned there not being a wide receiver coach on campus right now. That not really mattering for some of the top flight prospects because uh, Texas uh, seems to be so uh, good on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, I guess my next question for you, Justin, is, uh, is there an update on that next wide receiver coach for the Longhorns?
1: I think there's one guy that, that's, that looks really good right now, and that's uh, Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver coach Chris Jackson, uh, Washington State alum, He's a guy that, that, that's got some skins on the wall. He, he, he's done a good job. He's climbed up the coaching ladder pretty quickly. Uh, he's a guy that I think Texas identified, Sark really likes, relates with. Um, and, and so I think we're going to see some movement there in the next few days. I think you, sh- you could see either a decision or, or maybe other names appear. But Right now, I feel like uh, Chris Jackson's probably the, the name that's the guy to beat. Um, And like I said, Jacksonville just got knocked out of the playoffs on Saturday by Kansas City. And so now his uh, his schedules a little more open than before. And I think you're going to see some movement over the next few days in that position. Hard to tell right at this moment. But I, I, I think if there was a leader in the clubhouse, it would be Chris Jackson.
0: And whether it's Chris Jackson or somebody else, that next guy has a very talented core that he gets to coach this next year. Not only a a ton of dudes returning from the 2022 (laughs) roster, but they add a national champ two times over with A.D. Mitchell announcing his intentions of playing his college ball with the Longhorns next year. Just how big of a deal is this for Steve Sarkeesian and company to add A.D. Mitchell's services to that passing
1: attack? It's huge, and I'll tell you why every position at texas has been upgraded since sark and his staff has arrived and the day they arrived the one position that really troubled them the most was wide receiver they saw an incredible lack of development just negligent play across the board uh not good at all i mean that's why they instantly thought we we need to hit the portal to to bring in some guys but Xavier Worthy boomed as a freshman. Jordan Whittington finally had a, a solid, a healthy season last year. That room still needed to upgrade. Isaiah Nayor getting hurt last year could not have been worse. It couldn't have hit those guys any lower. Now you got an A.D. Mitchell and you've got depth because Nayor is, is, is back on track. He's a guy that, that, that we feel like could be back and ready to play in the summertime. I know he's going to go do some things this spring. But what you get is an outside guy. There's a lot of inside receivers on this on this roster, and they brought in more in, in a Jonte Cook and in a, a Ryan Niblett and DeAndre Moore, for that matter, who can play inside now. Ad Mitchell is a guy you've got to have on the outside. Trey, six foot four, 195 pounds. He, and the thing about Ad Mitchell, I've had some fans ask me, you know, is this a kid that you know he didn't have a lot of big numbers at Georgia? none of the offensive players at Georgia have big numbers because it's so spread out. It's so balanced. They had two starting tight ends essentially in Darnell Washington and Blake Bowers. They had three running backs led by Kenny McIntosh. And then of course, A.D. Mitchell and, and Lad McConkie at receiver. The biggest thing you need to know about Mitchell is he's a field stretcher. He is exactly what this offense and Quinn Ewers needs to go vertical. And in the biggest games, That's when he was the most productive. The guy has caught four touchdowns in college football playoff games. Right now, I don't know if there's another player, and I know the playoff has only been around for seven, eight years now, six or seven years. That's got to be a record. He (laughs) showed up when it mattered the most. When they needed a big play, that's who they relied on. And now, A.D. Mitchell, you would think, why would he want to leave Athens? They just won back-to-back championships. He started as a freshman. Why would he want to leave? He's got a lot of reasons. And I think the biggest one is a kind of a fresh start in a new challenge. I know he's got family in Texas. He's from Missouri city. He's got family in Dallas. I know that he's very close to those people. He's able to get closer to home. Now a lot more of his family can come see him. And like I said, he wants that new challenge and he wants to come in and, and add that. And he may be the missing piece at receiver, because even though I felt like there were, there were bright spots last year, there were, too many, there were too many games where guys dropped balls. There were too many games where guys ran the wrong route. And there were too many games where Quinn just wasn't as sharp as he was in other times. Hmm. You add depth with A.D. Mitchell. You bring a guy that can play on the outside. You can have a Naor on the outside, potentially with Whittington. You can have Worthy inside. And then you get to have fun with Savion Red and Brandon Thompson and Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore. Now the wide receiver room looks drastically different. It's been redecorated. Since Sark and those guys arrived in that one position room, the one they really wanted to focus on, is starting to really look like they needed to.
0: All right, last question, Justin. We're going to veer from college to the NFL because your Dallas Cowboys season came to an end on Sunday night at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers. Not a huge surprise considering mm-hmm. that Sam Fran was favored in this game, but one of the interesting talking points coming out of that game for Cowboys fans is where folks are with Dak Prescott. So I wanted to end today's conversation by asking you just how confident are you with Dak Prescott as your team starting quarterback going forward? You
1: know, it's funny. Four days ago, five days ago, he, he, he torches Tampa Bay. He's got a pretty good defense. They weren't a great team, but a pretty good defense. And everything was great. Everything was back to normal. Everybody, Dak is the guy, da, 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 da. top 10 quarterback in the league. Dak did not have a good game. And what hurts the most is Dan Quinn called a hell of a game on the defensive side. Yeah, All Dak had to do was play B-plus football. He didn't have to be perfect on, on Sunday night, Sunday evening. He just needed to be B-plus. He needed to make a few more plays than he did. The two interceptions – well, the, one, the first one was just as bad as it gets. That was It almost looked deliberate. The second one was a tipped. But if you're throwing the ball behind a guy in double coverage, ball's going to get tipped, and you're outnumbered on who might catch it. I'm, I'm still figuring out my place with Dak. I, I still have faith in him. I think he's a good leader. I think he's a great quarterback. I think if you give him a few more weapons at receiver – Because letting Amari Cooper go and not replacing him really stings. I mean, they tried to get as much out of Michael Gallup and Noah Brown as possible, but it's not the same. He really elevated Dalton Schultz, the tight end, to to one of the better tight ends in the league. He had a great year. And then Tony Pollard goes down. And once Pollard went down, I think it really took the wind out of the sails because Dallas had had back-to-back really good drives on offense. And Pollard has been kind of that X factor. You know, C.D. Lamb has ascended to the number one receiver role. Tony Pollard had jumped Zeke Elliott as a starter. And I've been proclaiming on Twitter for three or four years, Tony Pollard's going to start in this league, and he's going to make a lot of money. He goes down, breaks his leg. It looks terrible. It's graphic. I really think that really kicked Dallas in the nuts. And then giving up that late field goal at the end of the second quarter, going into the half, you you, would have had a tied game going in. Everything would have been cool. Another mixed extra point. It wasn't all Dak. It was a it was a convoluted mesh of crap that happened all in about an hour from missing extra points, from missing coverages, and from a Tony Pollard injury. You needed Dak to be a little bit better in the second half, and he just wasn't that that just wasn't there. Give San Francisco credit. That is a roster of talent. That is a well-coached team. And the fact that Kyle Shanahan got a rookie quarterback in his seventh start in the league to the NFC championship game, their third quarterback this season. You got to give San Francisco a ton of credit that I can see why they were favored. I can see why they're so highly touted. I think Philadelphia is probably going to humble them next weekend, next Sunday. It's still going to be fun to watch. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm, I'm still pro Dak. I think he can be the guy, but I think some things need to happen. I think they need to tweak a few things on that offensive line. They need to tweak the receiver room a little bit. They need to add a little bit more talent, and they got to figure out a way to re-sign Tony Pollard. That is the biggest thing in the world. And coming off that injury, that's at the worst possible time to re-up and get that new contract. You have to feel terrible for him. I think Dak is still the guy, Trey, but his window, like Romo's, is closing. And let me tell you something. He's no Tony Romo.
0: Yeah, and he's also 29 years old also, which is still surprising to hear each and every time that it's thrown out there. I mean, he is no longer uh, fits into that spring chicken definition, if you will. A great answer there, Justin. Thank you for all the info. He was the oldest
1: quarterback remaining in the playoffs.
0: Right, exactly. And look, can quarterbacks sustain their careers into their mid to late 30s? Now, absolutely. There are plenty of guys who have proven the ability to do that but a lot of those guys have also figured out how to win on the biggest
1: stage up to this point too the last four quarterbacks standing what do they all have in common
0: they've all made it to a super bowl
1: they've all i don't think Jalen has
0: no you're right Jalen has not just yet rot, he's, he's, one, he's the one seed
1: they all played texas
0: <laughs> they all played against texas
1: all of them most of them multiple times yeah, so, look,
0: credit, credit to Kyle Shanahan also. I know Brock Purdy has uh, been a great game manager and actually made plays with his arms at times. The The thing that I tell people who didn't get a chance to watch him in college is Brock Purdy was always prone to just the most ridiculous turnovers that really changed the course of a game, and he's been able to avoid that up to this point too. So you got to give Shanahan yeah. credit for helping him better understand protecting the football than Matt Campbell was ever able
1: to in Ames. When, when George Kittle made that catch, that juggling, stumbling, bumbling catch, you had to know it wasn't Dallas's day.
0: No. So. No, it wasn't. Justin, thank you, as always, for the great intel. Nothing but love, brother. The recruiting breakdown is brought to you by a great Longhorn mortgage professional, Gabe Winslow. Gabe is a diehard Texas ex with more than 20 years in the industry, doing mortgages throughout the great state of Texas. Contact Gabe today and give him the opportunity to earn your business. For Justin Wells, check him out on InsideTexas.com. I am Trey Elling. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you are watching on YouTube right now, do subscribe to the On Texas Football YouTube channel. If you like this episode, click that thumbs up button. For Justin Wells, I am Trey Elling. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the week and hook 'em.